0: Listening Dog Media.
1: This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
0: The Offside Rule. We Get It. Brought to you by a Wolves fan, a Manchester United fan, and a Liverpool fan.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Offside Rule. We Get It. It's not just the footballers returning from an international break, so is the Offside Rule and without one we're a man down <laughs> yes we have an injury currently lying on the physio table yes hayley mcqueen isn't going to be with us for this one that's the voice of kate for i'm lindsey hooper and we're going to guide you through the next 30 minutes and um, it's been quite handy as well the timing in these things is usually just of the essence it has been because the england women's squad announcement mm. happened this week for the euros the only thing we've got to get excited about really this summer Three months early, that squad's come out and we'll hear
3: from the England manager, Mark Sampson, a little bit later on, as well as some of the players. An interesting decision
2: for the manager. If it goes wrong, it could be very sticky for him. It could be. It gives us an opportunity as well to have a bit of a talk around that and those interviews that Rebecca Adams went up to St George's Park for us and, and spoke to a few of the players We'll have a chat about our thoughts on it. Um, And also, we're going to have two other topics to discuss as well as that, starting with manager meltdowns, because another hot topic this week, David Moyes um, having having a bit of a pop once the cameras had stopped rolling at uh, a BBC reporter, Vicky Sparks. Now, I have to confess, when I was originally um, given this interview, quote... It was in a written article form, so I hadn't actually seen the video, but it, it described pretty well and put in quotation marks as we know as journalists what mm. accurate quotes are. And the quotes you have to say look awful because it's it's about, I'll give you a slap yes. um, and you even watch yourself next time. Yeah, yeah, he, he basically said
3: um, that uh, she might get a slap even though she's a woman and... Told her and told her to be careful the next time she visited Sunderland.
2: And this came off the back of, let's face it, David Moyes have, not having a great time yeah. at Sunderland. I think many are resigned to the fact that their fate is they'll be going down this season. Um, it wasn't a great result. The chairman was watching in the stands. She asked whether he felt under more pressure with him watching on. Um, but it wasn't the greatest of phrasing, was it? And I then watched it, and I watched the video, and... Um, and also you know when you when you make these messages and you you read these quotes i mean i i generally do still feel and stand by the fact that i think it was a bit uncalled for but i think that you often take heed when people say actually well have you seen the context of it it was quite jovial and mm. um, also the reporter has accepted the apology and you think well if she has then mm. then we all have to just accept that and vicky was laughing too as well but i have to say having been in that situation
3: before and i know you would have been lindsay People do say things that are out of order if you if you write them in black and white. But when you're getting on with your job and you're trying to get an interview with a manager and you know that that's without being anti David Moyes, some that, that that's just the terminology that some people use. Um he shouldn't have said, even though you're a woman, if it was a male reporter, he said you might get a slap. And what he's saying to her is, you might get a slap. And then he's probably thought, oh, no. (laughs) I've told this woman she might get a slap. And then he's sort of tried to back it up with, even though you're a woman. So he's, he's kind of dug himself a bit of a hole. And I agree that when you watch it, it doesn't seem as bad as when it's written in black and white. The only thing that I would say is that unless pieces like this were picked out, they would never know any different. So, yes, attitudes do have to change. And even though on the face of it, it wasn't that bad, it's not acceptable going forward to not point things like that out. So if it means now that David Moyes and other managers are a bit more careful about what they say or they just turn off certain phraseology that they might have been used to using... That's a new word alert. then, then Then that's a good
0: thing. The offside rule, we get it. The female take on football.
2: We've got on our soapbox a little bit about it. Um, It has inspired our first topic. So we're going to talk about some manager meltdowns. You know when pressure has got so high that sometimes they do things out of character. And I know that you've got a few of those up your sleeve. Um, Going back a little bit, actually, because these have happened over a series of years. Okay, well, let's go back um, a little while to Nelson Vivas,
3: who Arsenal fans might remember um, defender at the club for um, a three year period mostly as cover um, but he was at the club so if you recognise the name that's why anyway he went on to be a coach of um, Argentine first division club Quilmez um, and uh got a little bit riled by a fan, so riled that he went into the stands and landed three punches on this fan, a club member who he said had been insulting him. Uh, he was quoted afterwards as saying, I'm not a violent person, uh, and I realised that that's not the image a trainer should give. Um, so he immediately went to hand in his uh, notice to the club president. But yeah, a manager getting so riled by one of the fans, because you do get fans like that, don't you, stood behind... Or sat uh, behind where the manager is in the technical area, just giving it, giving it the yap all day, every day, all during the game, giving it the yap. The same thing again,
2: again. It must get annoying. It must, but surely it becomes white noise to to football managers. Shouldn't it? Shouldn't it? Um, uh, Do you remember when Gus Poyet lashed out at the media? They, he felt that um, something that he'd said had been misconstrued about the fans. And he came out and he said, "The problem is you, not me," to the media. But the next quotes that come, I just, I just find them amusing that you would say this when you're in a, in a job, which, let's face it, the livelihood of it is tv money (laughs) and then it's um i'm not going to get involved anymore if we close sunderland if we put a china wall around the city it would be fantastic now when we let you in and you get out and say what you want we've got a problem i invite every sunderland fan and people around the club not to listen to any one of you only to me Uh, i think that there is what we call a dictatorship (laughs) Gus yeah
3: well I'll stick with the northeast. Joe Kinnear we know had, had uh, a bit of a manager meltdown on TalkSport didn't he which um, uh, was the sort of beginning of the end, um, that was um, uh, when he was at Newcastle, when he was a Newcastle manager on a short term contract um, back in 2010, he took exception to an article in the Daily Mirror criticising him uh, for not meeting with first team players on his first day in the job uh, the writer of this article, Simon Bird was sought out by Kinnear at the press conference, he basically met and uh, assembled group of journalists as they do they take their tv interview and then it's the turn of the written press afterwards and they go into a huddle and speak to the manager and he basically stood there and right right which one of you is simon bird so this uh so, so, so poor simon bird <laughs> raised, raised <laughs> me, <laughs> me 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 joe um basically the uh the uh really horrible four letter swear word was used the c word I'll have to say um he he basically repeated that word and many other expletives again and again and again uh told him it was absolutely out of order if you do it again I'm telling you that you can leave this club forever and go to another ground I will not stand for that now Newcastle are are famously good at banning press uh uh, from their club aren't they um but yeah that was Joe Kinnear having a go at one particular um journalist it's it's Harsh to 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 kind of single out one so publicly. I know journalists have often been banned, but they're normally sent a letter and banned. They're not normally singled
2: out in front of their fellow professionals by a manager and tore into. Well, that journalist though, he didn't really learn anything from at school. When you always like, it's not me. You know, the teacher comes in. (laughs) (laughs) Who did this? I don't. I think that happened a few times where I was probably the guilty party, but I never once put my hands in the air. Um. Anyway, on from the goings on at my high school. Have you got any more before we go on to our St George's Park roundup from the Women's Heroes announcement? You've got a couple more? I've got a quick one from Paul Ince, by the way, who
3: we know doesn't take any nonsense, but this is pretty harsh. When he was at Blackpool and um, they were uh, winning against uh, Bournemouth, and he was very incensed at the fourth official, Mark Pottage, uh, letting rip, according to the FA disciplinary report, uh, letting rip with the C word no less than 15 times. That's outrageous, isn't it? Uh, so, yeah, don't go near Paul Ince uh, if you've made a questionable decision, according to him. The poor uh, poor pottage there, uh, getting on the bad end of it. And, and by the way, he was also shoved by Paul Ince as well, according to the report. Uh, he did receive a five-match ban, though, uh, so uh, unable to enter Blackpool Stadium there for the next five games.
0: Hi, I'm Darren Goff, and you're listening, believe it or not, to three gorgeous women... Talking about football. Now, football and women. I'll leave it with you.
2: There seems to have been a sweary theme to (laughs) to your manager meltdowns. Um, We're going to go now to women's Euros, talk that for a second have that focus um i have to say it's in the netherlands this summer not that far to go it means the tv times are going to be favorable because Mm. when we went and covered the world cup out in canada it felt like back here i can't say for definite because we weren't here we were in canada but it felt like everyone was picking up the further england got on in the later stages of the tournament Mm. um but it was a big ask for people to stay up that late at night but now this presents a brilliant opportunity for the country to get united for women's football to get the biggest audiences it ever has had um, and I suppose that air of expectation around the team having got bronze at a World Cup yes Germany are now number one in the world but surely England represent a brilliant chance of certainly getting to the last four that's great stuff um, but let's
3: look at the headlines from some of the squad announcement Any um, Aluko friend of the podcast uh, we've um, done a couple of podcasts with Any, uh, left out of the squad um, so was Rachel Daly Gemma Davison and Claire Rafferty as well, we know Claire's had a fair few problems with injury. Um, we've heard any speak actually today on the radio about it, and she's been, you know, pleasant enough. But you can tell, I think, that she's gutted. Um, she's not spoken to the manager. She said for twelve months or so. She just to put this in perspective for those of you that don't follow women's football so closely. Uh, she was uh, the WSL one, so the, the top leagues uh, top scorer last season
2: playing for Chelsea. I think it's widely believed now that she's had her 100 England caps. She became a centurion. Many of the press that have covered women's football for so long uh, reporting that they think it's 100 and out and that she won't get back in the side. Now, I always think it's a footballer's duty to defy anyone who says anything <laughs> yeah. like that, you know, go and Absolutely. prove them wrong. Yeah. Um, but it, there's obviously something there that whether it's a personality clash, whether It's just two ideas not coming together... I don't know. I mean, what you'll never know what's gone on behind closed doors. But all I know from an England women's fan point of view is that we're missing now a player in that squad that scores goals and that has electric pace and scares defences. Yeah. And that's our loss, really, as a team. Her pace can't be questioned.
3: I have seen, though, and we've, we've borne witness to quite a few England performances where it's been frustrating for Annie. Either she's not had the supply or perhaps the space to do what she does the best we know that she's got that pace and and we've seen that but I think I would have you know personally, love to have seen her score more for England to make it impossible to drop her. I know she's had a few frustrations, um, playing for the side there, um, and I think we've witnessed that for whatever reason. Um, let's talk about who's come in Demi Stokes, Izzy Christensen, Manchester City, uh, Nikita Paris, uh, Chelsea's Millie Bright as well. Um, he's also picked Mark Sampson, and this is three months before uh, the tournament begins out in the Netherlands, by the way. Um, he has picked players with long term injuries, Frank Kirby, I think she's just coming back now now, but Joe Potter, Alex Greenwood have um, been picked with long-term injuries. Um, it's a bit of a risk from Mark Sampson, as we alluded to earlier, to name the team so early, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I can't quite get my head around that, but then I guess see, the timing is potentially what I'm questioning more than anything. Sometimes I think players find out too late. Mm. I understand that of you know wanting to know who you're going to be with out there, that you can start the bonding process, that you can start... I guess you can start tactics earlier, can't you? There's all those sorts of preparations that you can do. But I think three months because of the injuries, because, you know, maybe that side's going to change a few times. Maybe it isn't even over for any yet because there could be an injury and someone might actually need to be called into the squad. But I suppose it's given everyone a rough idea of the sort of team that we can see out in the Netherlands. Um, He's saying it's not down to form. He's saying it's all about getting a team together and them knowing each other inside out. That's a
3: strong admission to make though, isn't it? He said it isn't about form. He's not so concerned with form, hence he's named the squad so early. Mm. That's a big admission to make. And as I said, if it goes wrong, that's going to be thrown
2: straight back at him. But enough from us, uh, we're going to find out from Rebecca Adams, who we sent to St George's Park, uh, Rebecca just joining our team. And she went up um, to go and speak to a few of the players, also to Mark himself. But we start off with her talking to a couple of the more experienced senior members, uh, one being Laura Bassett, and the other being Jodie Taylor.
1: This group of players have learned to thrive under pressure, but like you say, the quality of opponents that we've got in our group, you know, we have to respect them. Um, they're very, very good opponents that can hurt us if, if we're not on our game, if we, if we don't bring our A game. So, um, But, you know, we'll be treating our opponents with the utmost respect, doing you know all the homework, all the preparation. Um, but, but come that first game and the, and the group games will be ready and we know exactly what we have to do. So you've got 19 players who were at the World Cup, where you've got the bronze, you've got four new faces. What do you make of the, the new, new players in the squad? Yeah, um, like, well, they've been in and in an, around the squad for the last couple of years. And I think, you know, Nikita, Millie, Izzy and Demi have all been performing so, so well for their clubs. And, and when they're here, they add so much to the group and they're, they're, just, they're just fitting straight away. And it's like, you know, they're... They've got so much experience. The how mature they are around the group. Um, it is kind of like it's amazing, it's amazing to look at them and think that it, there is, it is their first tournament. So, um, but no, they, they, they add so much value to this group, and I'm really excited for them. As a team, we've really grown. Um, like Mark kind of alluded to it on stage earlier. As we're probably more the underdogs at the World Cup, I think there's a high expectation on us now because of how successful we have been the last couple of years. Um, I think we're in a really good place as a team, um, we've obviously all gained a lot of experience from that tournament, I think it's 19 of us um, plus the additional players who've had good experience with club. so yeah I think we're in a stronger position than what we were leading into the World Cup with a lot more experience and um, yeah I think we're in a good place.
2: And as we heard from Bass there as well, it's also about the new players that have come into this England squad. And Rebecca caught up with one of those, Izzy Christensen, uh, followed by some words from the manager, Mark Sampson.
1: I'm so excited. Um, I can't wait. Uh, all the positive emotions are running through me at the moment. Um, and obviously it's a, it's a
2: benchmark now that we've got a 10-week countdown until, until the Scotland game. So that now gives us a real framework to work with as, as a group of 23. And to get ready for that, ready to make a rumble
0: out in Holland. You know, we've, we've had two years since the experience of the World Cup, and you know, we've learnt a lot of lessons, put a lot of things in place to give the team a better chance, I think, going into this tournament. and The fact we're taking 19 players who experienced that World Cup shows an experience group, and the four women who are coming in you know, certainly have earned the right to come in with the consistency of their performances and their achievements both for England and club over the last two years.
1: And You've named the squad three months early. Why so early?
0: I think with any decision when you weigh up there's some good things and bad things like in any decision in life. But the good bits certainly outweigh the bad bits for us. You know, it gives us a unique advantage over our opponents and the type of team we are. You know, that sense of security is important. The competition phase is over. You know, the players have fought hard to get this point. Now it's about the security and making them feel a part of this team and feel trusted. And the 23 players we'll be taking, you know, know now that they're the trusted ones. They're the ones that you know will either win this tournament or not for us in the summer and I think that gives us a unique sense of motivation and excitement and urgency that we've got to put some hard yards in between now and the start of July.
2: Thanks to Rebecca for asking those questions and also she, she hired a car to go up to St George's Park, bless her. Yeah. Really, I really like that dedication. Yes, Thank I do you. like the dedication to the cause. Um, so, I mean, what what do you... Having heard those and having heard from the team, they sound very together. Um, Mark certainly come in and said... The reasoning behind announcing the squad early Um, in that interview, he said that it was all about trust. See, trust seems to be the key word, doesn't it? Yes. Now, we know
3: Mark has a thing about trust. We know that there's a shirt exchange that he did, certainly during the Women's World Cup. He might not do this now, but during that tournament, um, right before the game... Girls gave each other their shirts, kind of like you know, I'm giving you this shirt, you're in my team, and then the other one gives the other one a shirt. So there's all sorts of trust exercises and little things that Mark Sampson does, and we know that he's a manager very open um, to all different sides of the game. This could be a managerial masterstroke from him. It really, really could be. We we don't know yet, um, but yes, I think this is Mark Sampson's managerial handbook coming into play.
0: The Offside Rule. We get it. Brought to you by a Wolves fan, a Manchester United fan and a Liverpool fan.
3: The offside rule is sponsored by BetOnBrazil.com. It's the betting site for all sports punters with great odds, markets, and offers. Well, listeners to this podcast can now get up to sixty pounds deposit match when you use the promo code offside. That's O W F S I D E. Just visit BetOnBrazil.com and enter promo code offside when you deposit, and we'll match your deposit of up to sixty quid. Also, look out for our daily happy hour offers between five and six pm. Sign up now at BetOnBrazil.com. BetOnBrazil.com. Is for over 18s only. Betting should be fun, so please gamble
2: responsibly. Well, we'll ram things off this week. In Haley's absence, she's going to be gutted that she misses this topic. We should say, Haley fans, she's not really on the physio table.
3: She's not really injured. She's just um, she's on, just on the me. IKEA table.
2: <laughs> busy, 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 building furniture. She's just moved house. Um, isn't that uncanny? Is the topic that she's going to be gutted to miss? She loves yeah, all these ones. Yeah. Um, I know for a fact that she will have like been in fits of hysterics at the Cristiano Ronaldo statue that came out. I bet she was one of the first people to, to mention about that. Um, it came to my attention quite quick as well, probably from from one of her messages. But how ridiculous is it that it looks... So unlike him. uh, The thing that I find amusing is the fact that he's there because I don't think he's actually seen the the statue because that's the unveiling. (laughs) And you think there's this picture of him laughing and you think he's just laughing at the fact that it looks nothing like you. (laughs) Um, And I love Twitter for things like this because people suddenly decide, you know, well, it looks more like... Yes. A few people said Darren Goff, which I thought... Actually, there's a bit of a Goffy resemblance. Niall Quinn, though, the most popular.
3: Yeah. I mean, he's 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 laughing and he's looking happy when he sees it because he's thinking, I hate this, clearly. <laughs> Look at his face. Clearly he's thinking, what is this?
2: But then I was thinking, isn't it better to be so much better in real life than your statue? Imagine if you had a statue that was done and it looked incredible, but you in real life didn't didn't live up.
3: Hello, everyone dies, right? Wouldn't you (laughs) rather have the good looking version as a statue? But the the thing is, he, he has a history of slightly dodgy statues. His wax work was terrible. And there's another statue to him in Portugal. And actually, this one's more flattering in the kind of groin area for him. It's it's a huge Ronaldo statue with an even huger bulge somewhere. Quite
2: interesting.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think everyone knows where you mean, Kate. You've got two children. I hope you do. Um, yeah. Um, not only that, you you look around at others. I want to get some others that have been as bad because people okay. forget what monstrosities we've been forced to look at. Um there's the very famous one, um, which is the Ted Bates statue, which if you were ever looking, it isn't there anymore because no. they actually updated it. They made it better. But in the original um, statue, if you take a picture of Ted Bates and then you take the statue, it looked nothing like him. And I think he had a disproportionate hand and arm in the air. It just looked yeah, ridiculous. He
3: basically got arms as long as his legs
2: Yeah. in that particular picture. So he looks like some sort of weird-shaped midget. And his face didn't look anything like him either. There was no facial recognition (laughs) at all. Um, But that—that's one of the old ones. Um, There's there's a couple more that have come in the last few years. First of all, Luis Suarez. Um, He's got a statue in Uruguay, in his hometown. Now, it's not exactly a replica. It's not really unflattering either. Okay. I think it's sort of a cross. <laughs> the teeth aren't are the, teeth? the teeth aren't a true reflection. <laughs> okay, um, it's sort of like a mix between Graziano Pella and M. Ray Chan. I think right, interesting, very colourful um really yeah very colorful statue and the sculptor when interviewed about it and by the way they revealed it to him and he was on a big screen and um, oh. he wasn't there to see it um but that's part of the reason that the sculptor said it, it might not be an exact likeness and that's because i had to work off photos oh well so he didn't even show up
3: to uh, his uh sitting no mm. no exactly okay. by the way i'd forgotten another bad ronaldo one um there was one erected in madrid in, a, it's a rather unfortunate turn of phrase, anyway, and there was one in Madrid in 2010, um, before the South Africa World Cup. Um, and it looks like, it, it's not meant to have, but it looks like it's got a huge handlebar moustache, if you want to look <laughs> online. <laughs> Poor Ronaldo. Sometimes I think... look, is he? With sometimes I think having an ego just invites people to maybe have a little laugh at your expense. Anyway, I I I'm, I'm I'm sure that the sculptor um who did this one in uh, Madrid didn't mean to give him a huge handlebar mustache, a very overly long neck and stubby legs. That's how he came out. Um the statue of Bobby Robson at Newcastle, again more weirdness in the groin area and um, lots of folds and creases. You know you, you know if, if you're sculpting someone and they've got creased trousers because they've got creased trousers, you maybe wouldn't put every crease. In the sculpture, would you? You'd sort of smooth it out a bit. Mm. Yeah, there's rather a bulge and a few creases on Bobby.
2: Uh, well, if you're going to go from creases, let's next move to facial expressions because you're not going to beat the Samuel Eto statue. <laughs> uh, it was um, put up in 2009 in his home country of Cameroon. Face the facial expression. If you could do a, a sculpture of anybody, wouldn't you think? Well, I'll just take them when they're smiling, or or maybe just. And like non-expression. <laughs> if you see this picture and you Google it, it just looks like ouch. It looks like really the balls hit crazy. him in the
3: wall. <laughs> no. yeah. Um, I've got a couple of nice ones. Are we, are we doing nice ones? Or are we? Are we just doing? Want. Um, a, a couple of my all-time favourites. So Tom Finney at um, Deepdale at Preston North End. Um, lovely bronze statue. If I'm being a geek about statues, I love the um discoloration. its it has got that lovely bronzy, um, uh, sort of greeny, um, rusty to, side to it. It's called the Splash by Peter Hodgkinson. It's based on an action photograph um, of Tom Finney on a waterlogged Stamford Bridge, um, which was awarded Sports Photograph of the Year 1954. So it was lovely to see the sculpture made of this famous photo, um, and he's um, it, it, basically sliding on the ball, and his hands on 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 the ground, and 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 it's on a real. Of water, it's a really fine statue. Have a little look at it. It was unveiled in 2004 based on this um, photograph from 1954, and it's a really, really lovely. If I was going to be a geek, a really lovely sculpture. Another one I love. Um, is Bob Stokoe, infamous moment. Well, he is an infamous Sunderland manager, of course, but um, he uh, was particularly known um, for winning the FA Cup in 1973 with the side as manager. Um, it was um, uh, Sunderland versus Leeds. They were FA Cup final winners. And um, he ran onto the pitch, and if you watch the video back, um, he's running on with a pair of red tracksuit pants, kind of a trilby hat, I think, and an old beige raincoat. So he looks odd already, and he's running onto the pitch like this excited kid. Um, and they've done a statue of it, and on the back of the statue it said, I didn't bring the magic, it's always been here, I just came back to find it. Uh, that's from uh, 73, it was unveiled in 2006. Go and have a look online. It's a really, it's, it's, it's kind of how these football statues should be, not with a player posed with his foot on the ball, not with... You know, Ronaldo standing there with a
2: weird look on his face or a massive package is
3: just how football statues should be. We're
2: going to end with the worst one you will ever see. And I'm hoping you've not seen this because I'm just going to get your natural reaction to it. I know your sense of humour and I know that we're in for some giggles if you've not seen it yet. Um, It's of Sven Jorin and Eriksson. And it is definitely the worst statue like, I've ever. Who on earth did a statue, statue to Sven-Goran Eriksson? Why? I don't know where it appeared from. I think it was somewhere. I don't know, but anyway, it's now in by a local swimming pool somewhere. Oh dear, but um, he looks like a nutty professor who's sort of cradling a football. Oh. I want your genuine reaction to this as I show you the picture. <laughs> he looks like jesus
3: yeah. <laughs> well they've definitely got the receding hairline right um he's stood in a long overcoat with very wide shoulders cradling a football like it's a baby like it's a baby he's got a very happy look on his face and a very
2: large forehead the thing i'm going to point out about it is it's your favorite color of bronzy green <laughs> so <laughs> it should get a tick from you um thanks very much for this week uh, we will return in a fortnight um more shenanigans of course from us uh, thank you for downloading give us a visit on our website this week more content up there daily offsiderulepodcast.com a like on facebook would be much appreciated mm. as would follow on twitter at offsiderulepod thank you and if you want to find out more about the pod, um, I did a couple of hours
3: on Talksport. If you go back and look at yes. Kickoff, in fact, if you just search on um, online podcast special Kickoff, there's myself, um, there's George Ellick, um, and there's um, uh, Luke Moore from uh, the Football Ramble, and we're all there talking about podcasts. And there's a lovely introduction to us as well that you shall have to look at. But yeah, if you want to find out more about the podcast, if you've just come across us, uh, tune into that. It was it was brilliant, and someone might have called me trouble a few times. Mm, I think I might have landed you in it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, thanks.
0: The female take on football.
3: Sports Social Podcast Network.